Okay, so let's talk about music. My name is Sergio Verrer and I'm a composer and a pianist of the classical persuasion. And today I have as my guest, uh, composer and conductor, Eduardo Alonso Crespo from Argentina. Uh, I've been reading his bio and it's very impressive and he has been performed all over the world. Uh, the reason I got him here is because my friend Ellie Weingarten is getting a CD out uh, of performing the double concerto. I don't know if it is it new. Did you write it? Is it new? I, I wrote it in uh, 2010. Okay. Uh, it was a commission by the Querétaro Philharmonic from Mexico. Cool. Which is the orchestra where Miguel, who is Eleanor's husband, works. Oh. He's the first oboe there. And as you know, Eleanor is the first uh, clarinet of the National Symphony of Mexico. Right. Okay. Yeah. I worked with Eleanor uh, once. I took her to a maybe twice took her to a concert in La Paz to perform some works with a choir. Anyway, she's a, she's quite a, a very good clarinetist as we're going to hear in the in the next few minutes. Uh, yes, the idea on. behind this, this double concerto came from the fact that, uh, as you know, Miguel Salazar and Eleanor are, you know, husband and wife. One plays the oboe, one plays the clarinet, and um, they got the Querétaro Philharmonic to commission a work for them to play together. So that's that great. was something they were looking for. So that's why I wrote the piece. Besides, I already was a very good friend of both of them because we all studied in Pittsburgh. I oh. studied in at Carnegie Mellon University. Miguel also did, and Eleanor at Pitt University. Cool. So. That's so the, actually the whole concerto, the, the idea behind the concerto is that of a uh, kind of a remembrance of those youthful days of estu estudiantina, how, as we say in Spanish, you know, those days of student life, college right. student life. Uh, so it's a very upbeat piece and very um, optimistic piece. Right. Okay. Now tell us before we we get into the music part. Tell us a little bit your story as a musician, if you don't mind. Just yes, uh, I was born in Argentina in a, in a northern city of Tucumán. Um, I studied civil engineer. I'm a civil engineer, right? And then I studied music. Uh, I became a conductor eventually. I got a Fulbright grant. I went to the states. I studied at Carnegie Mellon University. Right. Then uh, eventually I worked at Carnegie Mellon University for 18 years. Um, and I've been the music director of the Tucumán Symphony. Uh, now the orchestra was the principal conductor and composer in residence of the Salta Symphony in Argentina and so forth. Yeah, it was cool. a long life. <laughs> I know, just one question, why the civil engineering? Just. Because, because my father was a civil engineer and the family had a, a company and, and I, I'm the oldest son and it was expected to me to take charge of it. It didn't happen. <laughs> I figured something like that. <laughs> I figured yeah. something like that. It doesn't sound like, uh, like your passion, you know, but you yeah. had to do it. 
and and you did it right. Anyway, you know, in, in, in our culture, uh, uh, families tend to ask you to study something safe. You know, I know. <laughs> so I, that's why I was I was lucky because I was the fourth kid and I was allowed to study whatever. So nobody was paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my father didn't have a business anymore. He had sold his business. So, so in that regard, I was able to do whatever I wanted. But I, I could see the, the influence. Mexican culture and Argentinian culture probably have a lot of things in common. Oh, yes, certainly. Yes. You know, so, you know, we're all Latins and same, yes. same background. Anyway, uh, so let's, let's do so, some music. I... I want to play just the first three minutes until there is that transition that happens after three minutes. And then we can talk a, a little bit about the music itself. Yes. How, is that, that, how does that sound? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yes, okay. go ahead. All right.
Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what we heard. Well, the piece is in three movements. Uh, this is the first movement. This is actually the exposition of the first movement. There was a, a, a first theme in 7-8 mostly, which gives that typical Latin rhythm. Uh, and a second theme, uh, more to, like in a French style. Uh, that second theme eventually will be the basis for the second movement, which is a gymnopédie. Uh, that's why it sounds a bit French. Uh, it's uh, the second movement is a gnopedy, and then the third movement is a rondo, uh, back into you know Latin rhythms. Um, that's the overall concept of the piece. Uh, as I said, the piece was composed because they wanted to play together, and uh, as you know, in this CD they are playing this concerto together, the double concerto, and then. One concerto each by Rossetti, a concerto for clarinet and one concerto for oboe. So it's a very interesting CD. It's very unusual, you know, husband and wife playing all together these three works. Very nice. Yeah. And how how would you describe your music in general? Um, I think it's basically, um, I would say, neoclassical, postmodern. Uh, with a very strong Latin American uh, accent. Uh, I don't try to make it that way. It's just the way it is, because that it is my accent, as you can tell. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's the way I've been writing. Of course, it, it, it is different for, for different pieces. For example, um, this is, a, as I said, a very upbeat piece, optimistic piece. Right. Uh, but have, for example, a fourth symphony, which is about the Holocaust, which is very dramatic and very different. And I have two operas. One is a, uh, um, a comic opera, which is, you know, in a different direction. And then I have a dramatic opera, Juana la Loca, John the Mad, based on the story of the Spanish queen, uh, which is again, very dramatic. But the language is more or less the same. It is a tonal language with, um, a strong accent, especially with influences from the native music of Northern Argentina, which is where I am from, which is uh, music that is uh, related to the Inca culture because Northern Argentina was in the outskirts of the Inca empire. So the native music of, of Northern Argentina is very, very peculiar. It is that Inca culture mixed with colonial music from Spain, um, which gives a very special you know, flavor to, to music and culture in general. I see. What, what does the Inca culture bring to your music? Uh, what, what would you say there are the elements that, that um, I, we can- I think uh, the, the, the basic elements is, is simplicity. They, it was a very primitive and simple culture. And musically, they, they had, for example, some basic, very basic music based in just two notes, two notes, which is the music of chageras. The chageras are women that sing with just two notes, the fundamental and the fifth. And wow. with that, they make a lot of music. <laughs> so that's a very, basic, simple music, uh, very primitive. Uh, and on top of that, 
uh, as I say, we have the, the strong influence of Spanish colonial music, uh, which, which yeah. um, you know, impregnates everything. And, and there is a third element that I, I don't want to forget, which is a tango, you know, the music from the harbor of Buenos Aires brought by Europeans at the turn of the uh, 20th century. So all that put together, I guess, makes up uh, the many influences in my music. I see. Okay, I wanted to, uh, I was listening to the whole thing. I, I do want to bring the, the overture of Juana la Loca. It's, uh, it, it is still the same language, but yet the, it has this element of repetition that is very interesting. So, uh, so let me, let me, let me play it, play the first three minutes of the overture and then we'll, we'll just talk about it a little bit. Thank you. 
then we're going to something else. But what what is this repetitive element uh, for the work? Well, uh, th there is an explanation uh, uh, for this overture, which I found, I guess, interesting. Um, the overture gives up the ending of the opera in the very first bar, because, as you know, Juanara Loca ends up uh, jailed in a castle for the rest of her life, her very long life, once they declare her mad so that uh, she has to give power to her son, Charles V. So basically she spent almost 40 years in, in prison in, in, in a castle. Uh, I see. And the, um, the stage designed for that opera uh, for the last scene of the opera when she is jailed was basically uh, like jail bars that came down all the way from the top of the stage to the bottom, all through the stage, painted in white. So there were parallel lines in white, exactly like those chords, pa, 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 pa. Those are the bars of, of her jailed life. Uh, the story of, of, of John the Mad in the nutshell is that she was the rightful heir of Isabella, uh, the Queen of Spain. She would have you know, inherited the whole Spanish empire, but uh, her husband, uh, and particularly her father's ambition, made her resign to that and give up power to her son, Charles V. And uh, they declare her mad, although she wasn't, of course, she was just the victim of political ambitions of her father, her husband, and you know people surrounding. Uh, the the reason for the for the subject of this opera comes from the fact that it was a commission for the uh, fifth centenary of the discovery of America in 1992. So it had to be, you know, a, a subject related to to Spain and to those years. Yeah, very interesting. In fact. Uh, the, she became the the um, the queen of you know Spain shortly after the discovery of America, because after the discovery of America, her mother died a few years later. So that's that's the story. Well, that's the story. That yeah, it felt and she lived she lived unfortunately a very long life um, in in a, in, a, in a cell, huh? In a, in jail, yeah, yeah, that's that's a tragedy. I guess yeah. so. The opera deals with with the whole situation of the succession and ends with ends with. Um, basically, uh, there are two subjects: love and ambition. Because she was truly very much in love with her husband. Her husband was uh, Philip the Handsome. He was the right. um, the son of the Archduke of of Austria, so a very powerful figure. And she was deeply in love with her with him. Uh, she was very unfaithful. She was very jealous, and <laughs> she was very passionate, like like all you know, like most Spanish women. And so they they used that to say that she was mad. Um, eventually, her husband was uh, poisoned, probably by Juan's uh, Juan's uh, uh, father, and she refused to give burial to her husband's you know corpse for many weeks. Oh, wow. So they, they used that also to accuse her of madness. madness. And she, she went down history as, you know, 
the Mad Queen, Joan the Mad. Juana la Loca. Right. Sí. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I I was I'm not very familiar with the story actually, but uh, it sounds like a like an interesting work. I mean, subject for an opera. If you're gonna get some yeah. drama, man, that sounds like like uh, <laughs> like a good place to start, right? Someone being yeah. jailed for power, for you know, as a power play. Yes. And tell me, uh, how did you? come up on your, your musical language. I mean, you know, um, we live in a time which fortunately, which is now allowing pretty much freer expression, the, the, the moment the, the I mean, so how do you decide on your? Yeah, I, I, see, I see where your question goes because I know exactly what you mean because I, I lived through that. Uh, yeah, when yeah. I was a student, When I was a student, uh, the mandatory thing was to write serial music, you know, the caphonic music, right. 12-tone music. Schoenberg, uh, Schoenberg, uh, Schoenberg you know, and Boulez and, and all that stuff. That was mandatory. Otherwise, you didn't, you know, pass. <laughs> that was the way it, it had to be. Uh, so I had to do that. Uh, but there was a turning point in my, in my career in 1982. I was, you know, 20 something, almost 30 years old. And um, the Secretary Ministry of the Tucumán, which is the main province in the north, uh, commissioned me to write a ballet for ballet, orchestra, and chorus. So a very large work with everybody involved. And right. the subject was Medea, so the, the Greek myth of Medea. Uh, Medea. Medea, Spanish, okay, you know. okay, yeah. got it. So it, it was it was a huge undertaking. I was my very first large commission, and I, I had to make a decision. Uh, am I right? Am I going to write for for these people? You know, my people, the people I see every day in the streets, uh, for my orchestra, my chorus, my ballet company, people I know from all my life, or am I going to write for the critic from Berlin or a critic from Paris. What right. do you do I do? So they're, they're going to spend a lot of money in this production. They right. expect a good product. And I'm, I am going to do some, you know, stupid things just to please the critics of Berlin and Paris. Do they even care? <laughs> so right. uh, the, decision, the, the, the answer, the solution was very simple and very clear. Uh, I had to do um, eventually what I like most, the music I like most, and the music that would allow me to communicate with my fellow countrymen and women, you know, yeah. uh, a language we have in common, something we can yeah. converse, uh, communicate. Right. So I, that, I... Was, that, was a that was a turning point. Everything before that was just student works following the guidelines of my teachers, that were off of the point writing that silly music. Uh, and from there on, I just wrote the best I can do and the music I think I like the most. Thank you. Yeah, that's very interesting. I just, I just uh, put out a work about immigrants, a choral work about immigrants. And uh, although there are a couple of concessions to, I, 
I think that, you know, the, the introduction of all these systems like the dolectaphonic system and, and the dissonances of the middle of the 20th century, the Bartok and all this, uh, give us a chance to expand our palette of color. But That's true. If, yes. if, if you just stay there, it gets, you have to make a decision. Who are you writing for? And you're right. My friend Jaime Almeida, he was a, he was a, he's gone, but he was a TV personality in Mexico. And, and we had this conversation and he told me, you know, if you're going to go into avant-garde, you're going to, you're, you're going to start writing for the people of the future. That's the idea that your music 20 years from now or 30 years from now or 40 years from now is going to be appreciated because that's where music is going. But if you're not a futurist and you want to communicate with the people that are here now, you know, you have to make that decision for yourself. You think that this is where it's going or do you right. want, you know, and you, we all you, have you, to make that decision. You don't even know if there is a future. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so what's the point? <laughs> well, that's true. Well, let's hope there is, huh? <laughs> so uh, no, but I think I think it's it, it it also involves honesty. You have to be honest. You can't be writing that type of surrealistic music from the seventies and sixties and then go home and play a Mozart concerto. That's dishonest. I mean, <laughs> if you really like the Mozart concerto, then give me a break. Why are you doing all that stuff? <laughs> right. It, it, it needs to be. It has to be honest. It has to be the music you really think. It has to be the way you think music should be. Uh, right. to give pleasure to people. That's that's the, the whole point. Yeah. And, and, and you see, history is proving me right. Because mm, let's say almost 50 years or 40 years passed since my student days. And you see, nowadays, young, young composers, they write just the music they want. They don't yeah. feel the pressure of following a system or 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 what is you know the the the, the last uh, customs in academia and and what teachers say that that is in the past. I see. And also, I have to say something very uh, unpleasant for some, but sometimes those systems of of writing dissonant music with 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 all we know about uh, was a way to hide from the fact that you were not able to write a nice melody, period. <laughs> okay. I've seen many <laughs> examples. I've yeah, seen yeah. many examples. <laughs> I see that. So, I, yeah, I do think that um, we can write somewhat different music by using, I, I think, for example, that the, the ideas of the middle of the 20th century, when you apply them, sometimes you can, you can use some very interesting dissonances to highlight the beauty of some consonances. Oh, yes, or to, absolutely. Or to, or to frame things or to, but I think they're just another tool in our palette yes. of color. You know what I think? I think that uh, uh, if we talk statistically about what composers do today, I think we are back into tonality, but tonality after right. going through that, you see? Exactly. Yeah. After going through after that. that. And that makes a huge difference 
because tonality after Bartok and after Stravinsky, even after Boulez and after Varese, is different tonality. It's different, uh, yes. much more free, uh, much richer. Um, and then it also comes in uh, ethnic music, which is another novelty that enriches tonality. You know, yeah. music from other cultures that are uh, with these different scales and, you know, uh, yeah. different that's rhythms. A, that's a different dimension that is coming into music right now, too. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do something. Let's hear a little bit more music. I, uh, I'm interested in this, uh, in your waltz. In the in the Mephisto waltz, of course you have the the mention it of, is the, from, of the from list at the beginning. Yes, right. You you quote the Mephisto waltz of uh, list. Yes, yes. Beginning. It's it starts with the same same uh, yeah. motif. My my mentor used to play that really marvelously well, so I have an affinity for that uh, for that. Uh, Piece. But let me let me just find it one second. We're, we're gonna do also about three minutes of it, and then we can we can talk about it. Thank you. 
Okay. So what does this, while it's uh, doing, where is it in the plot of your opera? Well, the, the, the opera is uh, called Putzi. Putzi is the nickname of Franz Liszt when he was a kid. Putzi oh. means kid in, in, in Hungarian and also in, in German. It's a, like a, a way to call you know, kids. Uh, and the opera is basically a comic version of the myth of Faust. Faust, oh. uh, in which uh, Franz Liszt plays the role of Faust and Paganini plays the role of Mephistopheles. Um, the opera has only four characters, young Franz Liszt, who is Putzi, that's his nickname, mm -hmm. uh, Paganini, who happens to be the devil, and then a very skinny, naive, and ridiculous uh, mezzo, who is life, and a very fat and maligned and bad um, soprano, who is death. So we have life, death, Franz Liszt, and Paganini. Paganini. Those are the four characters of the opera. And uh, the opera basically uh, deals with the same plot of Faust, but in a very comic way, because Franz Liszt needs Paganini to do, or the devil, to save uh, his lover at the time, uh, uh, Contes Marie d'Agoul, and to do a good deed, and etc. Everything goes, it, it becomes a mess because death becomes very angry and upset with him, with, with Paganini, and, and, and there are always, uh, in, in this opera I did something musically uh, that I found interesting, which I, I used a lot of, of, of uh, references to music from other periods and other plots, etc. For example, there, there are quotations of The Soldier's Tale by Stravinsky in, in the moment in which, uh, uh, Franz Liszt tried to get Paganini's violin, and there are many references to Rossini's music, to Mozart's music, and of course to Liszt's music, because it's all about Franz Liszt. It is a it's a comic opera that was commissioned to be performed in the open air in a summer festival in Buenos Aires, uh, you know, in, in a stage at night in in the open air. So it had to be, you know, a comic opera, obviously. And, and that's the way it was. Right. And this, this Mephisto waltz is from the second scene uh, in which uh, Franz Liszt is trying to convince Paganini to save the life of his lover. I see. Because she was ill. She was really ill. So it, it's, uh, uh, I took as a departure some real anecdotes of Franz Liszt's life. For example, the fact few people know that when he was a child, uh, his parents lived with a coffin underneath his bed, waiting for him to die at any moment because he had uh, such a fragile uh, health. Wow. So the surprising thing is that he lived a very long life by the standards of those times. You know, yeah. that's funny. So that's, uh, I guess, it's a victory of life over, over death. <laughs> so that was the point of departure for the opera. Life and death are quarreling to get uh, Franz Liszt's soul. Wow, that's really cool. All right, I think um, I think with that note we're gonna we're gonna be ending the the podcast. Uh, 
I want to thank you very much for sharing your music with us and your ideas about music and and uh, and I want to wish I this this new release that is coming out it's a uh, it's a recording by Ellie and it, but not her husband right that's Miguel Salazar that's her husband that, that's the, they're they that, did the oboist the, the oboist okay. is her husband I didn't pay and the orchestra time. is the Camerata de las Américas, conducted by Wolfgang, uh, I mean, <laughs> Ludwig Carrasco. Oh, well, whatever, Wolfgang Ludwig, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was close. But, yeah, Camerata of las Américas, where is that orchestra? Mexico, Mexico okay. City. Okay, yeah. well, where, where do you live? I live most of the, of the year in Tucumán, in Northern Argentina. Northern Argentina. Okay. Uh, I used to live half of the year in Pittsburgh, you know, when I was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh -huh. But for the last three years, I've been staying here in Argentina. You are in Argentina right now? Yes, I am in Argentina. So you are in the summer? It is summer. It's very hot. <laughs> it is very hot very here hot. in East Los Angeles and it's supposed to be winter. But we have, <laughs> we had a day of 85 degrees, which is like 28 or 30 centigrades. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really, I, I really appreciate your coming. And uh, and is there anything else that you would like to say before? You no, I, I, I thank you, thank you, Sergio, because uh, it's very important what you do, especially to make uh, Latin American music known to audiences, especially new music and new releases. That this one by Eleonora and Miguel. Uh, I thank you for that. I appreciate. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And that's all folks, okay. as Porky Pig used to say. <laughs> mm -hmm.